Let me start um, tonight maybe on a kind of a lighter side a little bit. I came across this uh, story of a young minister who was interviewing for his first pastorate. And the pulpit committee had invited him to come over to their church for the interview. And so the committee chairman asked, son, do you know the Bible pretty well? The young minister said, yes, I do pretty well. The chairman said, well, why don't you tell us the story of the prodigal son? And the young man said, okay, fine. And so off he went. He said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and he fell upon stony ground and the thorns choked him half to death. The next morning, Solomon and his wife, Gomorrah, came by and carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of. But as he was going through the eastern gate into the ark, he caught his hair and a limb, and he hung there 40 days and 40 nights, and he afterwards did hunger. And the ravens came and fed him. The next day, the three wise men came and carried him down to the boat dock and caught a ship to Nineveh. And when he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. He said, throw her down, boys, throw her down. And they said, how many times shall we throw her down? Till seven times seven? And he said, nah, but 70 times seven. And they threw her down 490 times. And she burst asunder in their midst, and they picked up 12 baskets of the leftovers. And in the resurrection, whose wife shall he be? She be. The committee chairman suddenly interrupted the young minister and said to the remainder of the committee, fellows, I think we ought to ask the church to call him as our minister. I mean, he's awfully young, but he sure does know the Bible. <laughs> now, that, yeah, I don't know, laugh or cry. If that was really true, that would be very bothersome. But, but, the, but, you know, he had all the pieces. He did. He had all the pieces. Just they were all over the place. And, and that's why, and sometimes, you know, we laugh at that, and we ask um, kids, and we ask um, young adults and, and teenagers, and maybe even some who have grown up in the church, um, how this story relates to that story, and so on and so forth. And they have the pieces, um, and, and yet how does it all come together? And that's why I'm very passionate um, about um, this study of understanding the Bible as a whole. How does it all come together? How do we get all these pieces? It's not good enough to know all the pieces. God didn't just give us the pieces so that we'd have some interesting stories to, to hear about or talk about later on in life. There's threads that go all the way through it. And so we've been looking at extended times in which God has spoken as recorded for us in his words. And each of those extended times make up a single volume. We've looked at four volumes that make up the Old Testament. We're now going to turn to the New Testament for the last four volumes. Hopefully you have a copy of these notes here. We begin with volume five. I'm going to get that fly before the night's done. We begin with volume five, the Gospels. The Gospels. In a sense, all of Old Testament history serves as a preparation for Jesus. What did God have in mind in all that was written in the Old Testament? Jesus. Jesus is what God had in mind. He came to reconcile humanity to God by extending God's kingdom beyond the boundaries of race to the entire world. And our scripture answers for us, at least as you come to the end of the Old Testament, uh, and that's why I wanted to begin with Isaiah 64 tonight, early on in our service, because as we come to the end of the Old Testament, it really answers three questions. 
And we're going to flesh these questions out later on, actually, as our Christmas series. Um, it's going to be on Jesus is the answer, but what are the questions? Well, here's three of them that we're going to explore over the Christmas season. Getting ahead of myself. Now let's come back. There's three questions here tonight, same three questions. As we come to the end of the Old Testament, there are three questions, at least three, that might be on the minds of people. Do I matter? Does God care? Why doesn't God act? Do I matter? Does God care? Why doesn't God act? And so Jesus speaks to those three questions. The God who visits earth is called Emmanuel, God with us. And so we have volume five, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Christ's coming is so significant, the Bible provides a four-dimensional view of it. Could we have gotten away with just Matthew? Mm-hmm. Would we have enough? Yep. Could we have just um, gotten away with uh, just Mark? Yes. Would that be sufficient for us to be led to salvation? Absolutely. Same with Luke, same with John. And yet, God saw in, in his wisdom that this was such a significant event, we're going to have four gospel writers write about it. I want a four-dimensional view of it. Four different men who say Christ's coming, who saw Christ coming from, from different viewpoints. That's how important it is. Okay, so as we come to volume five, and, and the beginning of, the, um, of this uh, last four volumes, then we're going to look at Acts next week. Uh, and then the letters, and then Revelation, uh, you know, not, you know, all of Revelation and everything in Revelation, but as a writing, as we've been exploring it and going through it um, as the rest of the volumes, okay? Uh, so don't get too excited that we're going through the book of Revelation, but you know what I'm saying. That's at the end. Okay, that is at the end, literally. Okay, number one question, number one question, as we relate to this volume and every other volumes, number one question, the need. What is the need uh, of these books? Kind of obvious, but it, go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. As usual, we're going to be looking at several scriptures. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Um, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And so we have at least in Hebrews 1, 1, God spoke. That's what we've been exploring. Those are the four volumes of the Old Testament. And he continues to speak, verse 2, it says, But in these last days, eschatos is the word there for last days, where we get eschatology. But in these last days, he's spoken to us, how? By his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So God spoke. Those through whom the word of God came were followed Uh, By him who is himself the word of God. God spoke in these last days uh, uh, through whom? Jesus. By his son. Now, as we've seen so far, God has spoken uh, friend to friend. To Abraham. And the promise. God has spoken... Sovereign to subject to Moses in the law. This is just ways of breaking it down. God's people spoke 
of their experiences with God. So it's God's people speaking of their experiences in the poetic books. And then it says, God, that we saw last week, God has spoken, thus saith the Lord, through the prophets. Thus saith the Lord through the prophets. That's what we've seen. The prophets speak God's word in the last days. He has spoken in his son. That's significant. In his son. And by his son. And so if he's spoken to us by and in his son, then what is it? we have to ask, what does he have to say? What is it that he has to say? Galatians 4, 1, just looking at the need here still. What is the need for, these volu- for this volume 5, the Gospels? What is the need? Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, actually, verse 4. Change that. Galatians 4, verse 4. Beautiful verse. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And we kind of begin to see the unity here um, of all of the writings. But I don't want to get to that yet. But in Galatians 4.1, it is time. It is time. So you want to write three words next to Galatians 4.4, excuse me, as it is time. At just the right moment, precisely as God arranged it, keeping with his plan, enter Messiah. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. And all the logistics of that, he orchestrated at just the right time. Then we can get into all the things that had to happen in order for Jesus to come. I just don't want to go down that road right now. Um, but, but so many things had to happen for this gospel, for the word of God to be ready to uh, really get out there to the world. And it, and it, it is time. That's the need, um, speaking through um, exactly when he would come. Now, also around the need, coming back to... We had the problem of sin, you recall. You've talked about this many times in the prologue of Genesis, really 1 through 11. 1 through 11, we have the problem of sin. Really, um, 3 through 11, we have the problem of sin. And then comes the preparation. Comes the preparation. What's the preparation? First four volumes. The promise, the law, poetic books, the prophets. That's all preparation. That's all preparation for the fullness of time. All preparation for the fullness of time. Galatians 4.4 is here. Old Testament is here. Genesis 3, chapters 3 through 11 is here. We have a problem of sin. What is God going to do about it? And again, we've talked about this. Why didn't, Je- why didn't God just send Jesus in Genesis chapter 4? Well, you can ask him that. He could have. He didn't. Because he wanted this whole preparation time in God's mind. All this preparation was significant for the fullness of time. Whatever the reason was, one thing's for certain, it was at the right time. It was at the right time. So he solved that problem, the culmination of the ages, and it's right here in the fullness of time that the problem of sin is dealt with. 
And so we have the gospel writings. That's the need. That's the need. Well, what's the content? Let's look at the content. Oh, heavens. That's Galatians right here. This is not good. This is what's happening to my Bible lately. You know what it's like to switch Bibles? I'm, I'm horrified to even think of it. Okay. Okay, we're not going to be able to go there for a little bit. Let's look at the content. The content. And there's really two aspects to the content. As we look at the Gospels, the, the four Gospels, two types of content. Um, there's facts. What is it that he did? And there's doctrine, or we could say teaching, are the two parts. The facts and doctrine. What is it he did? God spoke through the facts. The doctrine, the divine teaching or truth as communicated by God. What it is that he said. What are his teachings? See, the New Testament begins with the person of Christ, the facts of his manifestation in the flesh, flesh, and then the words which he gave from his Father. Notice John 17, 8. I don't think you have that in your notes, but John 17, 8. Write that verse down. John 17, 8. Let me read it for you. This is Jesus speaking um, in his prayer. Uh, 17.8, says, For I gave them, Jesus is saying, I gave them, meaning his disciples, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. But very significant words there. God gave them the words, Jesus gave them the words that his Father gave him. We see the Son here in submission to the Father, And the distinctive character is that of transition, closing the past, God spoke in the past, by opening up the future. So I'm giving the disciples all that you gave me to give them. That closes out what the Old Testament writings had, still applicable, but closing no more writings there. And now what I speak to you, those are going to be the writings. Those are going to be, the, that's going to be the doctrine. That's going to begin to make up the New Testament. It all begins with Jesus' teachings and, his, and the facts. And so Jesus' teaching centered on three areas, very similar to the law, Old Testament law, behavior and relationships, um, the inner and the outer and God and man and positive and negative. And he summarized all the commandments. He summarized all the commandments. Love God, love others. Again, we see the unity to the law, but hang on to that still. We see explanations. Jesus was a great explainer. He was a great explainer. That's what we're seeing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's taking the command, do not murder. He's taking the abuses of that and the external nature of that, and the self-righteous aspect to that, and he's explaining. He's fleshing it out. He's an explainer of what God's like, what man's like, what sin is like. All the Old Testament, fulfill and explain, fulfill and ex- explain. That's Jesus. If you want to wrap up his ministry, fulfill and explain, fulfill and explain. Fulfilled, plerio, he explains. See it all the way through, fleshes it out. What is already, and then the third um, aspect, um, it promises, promises. Teaching centered on the third area is promises. He says over and over, I will. I will build my church. I will be with you to the end of the age. We see the grace uh, of Jesus uh, and, and his teaching. 
of what he will do. Method. The method, do we get all that? All set? Okay. Not a lot of blanks there. The method, um, we could say it this way. Um, Jesus created the gospel by his work. He preached the gospel by his words, but he is the gospel in himself. Let me say that again. He created the gospel by his work. Okay? He preached the gospel by his words, but he is the gospel in himself. If he's not in it, there's no gospel. That's what Paul says over and over again. You can't take Jesus out of the gospel or you've butchered the gospel. So he created the gospel by his work of redemption. He preached the gospel by his words. We see it all the way through. And he is the gospel in himself. John 1.14 says it clearly. The word became flesh. God comes and he speaks through a book. In language we can understand through a man, flesh and bones. Something he'd never done before. When we talk about Isaiah 64 and God coming down, this is the most unique thing God has ever done. And coming down and speaking through a book, uh, Jesus himself being that, and the word became flesh, and language we can understand through a man, flesh and bones. It's an ama- amazing concept. Amazing truth. Philippians 2.7, just to keep going through the method. How did God, how did God speak through um, Jesus in this volume that we have? Well, by Jesus being made in human likeness. Philippians 2.7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. It's not anything that he subtracted from who he is, but what he added to what he already was and is, and God himself. Quickly, just Hebrews 2.14 speaks that says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. See the method, the way which God is spoken by his son? He shared in their humanity. He's flesh and blood. He identifies with us. Now Luke 2.7, Matthew 1.25, she gave birth to her firstborn a son. He gave him, she gave him the name Jesus, flesh and blood. A person. God came down in, in the person of Jesus Christ. Wrapped himself in humanity. And in Galatians 4.4, 4, which we always saw, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Okay, Colossians, you don't have any um, verses with that. Um, just let me give you some. Colossians 1.19. I'll just speak these. Colossians 1.19. Colossians 2.2. 2, and Colossians... Um, I gotta go with that feeling. Colossians two two, Colossians two three, and Colossians two nine. So it's one nineteen two 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 three two nine. What is all this? Why did I pick these verses out? Well, because it speaks of God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And we've heard all this. We know all this. But it's very significant that in this volume, that it all is wrapped up in, in, in speaking through and by Jesus, his son. So here's the summary. Let me just give you the summary here. 
Um, Hebrews 1.3, it speaks of sun um, being the radiance of God's glory, the exact rep- representation of his being. You can look that up. Exact representation of his being. So we see, again, full uh, humanity, full deity, never sacrificed one for the other, though chose at times not to use his deity to, um, to get out of perhaps situations when he could have but lived and behaved like humanity. Temptation is the classic example of that, though I don't want to go down that road too much, but just to say Jesus certainly could have changed those um, stones into bread. He could have. And his deity he could have. No question. He chose not to. He behaved in his humanity and went through the temptation. Never not being God. Okay, don't get, go too far there. But he did behave in his humanity to feel the full of, fullness of the temptation. Did he feel it really? I mean, he was God after all. He couldn't sin. Yeah, he felt it. He didn't, take, he didn't go that way, remember? He didn't change the stones into bread. He felt the fullness of the temptation, even more so than we do because he didn't give in. All right, another subject for another day. Summary then, in the Gospels we have a biography. God spoke for himself. <laughs> In the Gospels, we have a biography, a model. God spoke for himself. So when it says he spoke by his son, God spoke for himself in the Gospels. Now, is there progress and unity? The answer is yes, of course. Um, the last Old Testament, vo- Old Testament voice is, um, is Malachi. Let me just go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Um, now, from the Israelites' point of view, at this point, and, and the book of Malachi, they returned to the land after the Babylonian captivity. I just want to give us context here and perspective. They returned to the land after the Babylonian captivity. Now, you will recall that the newly constructed temple was a sad imitation of Solomon's architectural wonder. And they wondered in Malachi, why serve God? Why serve God? We, we've been in Babylonian captivity. Our hearts grieved that we were there. We lost our song in the night. Our joy was restored when we came out of the Babylonian captivity only to a temple that was a sad imitation of Solomon's architectural wonder. Things aren't as great as they used to be. You ever fall into that trap? Oh, the good old days. And they wondered, and Malachi bears this out because they asked these very questions, why serve God? What's the point anyway? And we're back to the question. Um, questions. Do I, do I matter? Does God care? Is God going to do something? Is he going to act? Now, if you put yourself into the Hebrew mind, they come to the end of Malachi, that's what was up. And then there's 400 years of, of silence written-wise, revelation-wise, of what we have recorded for us. And, and they had to wonder, what's God up to? What's he going to do? What's he going to do next? Has he just left us? What's happening here? I mean, because in our Bibles, it goes from Malachi 3 um, to the end, chapter 4, to Matthew 1. We just turn a couple pages. We're there. We say, well, the answer's right here. And, and written, that's exactly correct. Because in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, 
we step right out of Malachi 3. It says, verse 1, See, I will send my messenger who prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the, comp- of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Matthew 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> That's what happens. So he stepped right out of Malachi chapter 3, right into Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, in terms of what's written for us. So Malachi ends on a note of disappointments, unfulfilled longings, and very, very faint hope. Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he act? Well, he did. Matthew 1, 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He acted by sending the Messiah, and we continue to look for when he will act once more by sending him again in power and glory. But in Malachi 3, 1 to Matthew 1, 1, you have the promise, the law, poetry, prophecy, Jesus Christ. Promise, law, poetry, prophecy, Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham, plero, fulfilled, completed, Matthew 5, 20. We talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Completed, Jesus took the things from the Old Testament. He brought them into final focus. So there's unity. Now let me just talk about the unity, not only from Old Testament to the Gospels, but just between, within the Gospels, just briefly. Some, this is kind of a survey stuff here, and, and, and you know some of this, um, but sometimes it's hard to find the progress and unity um, tracing that in the Gospels within the Gospels. The four of them are often categorized like this, okay? You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and we have the theme. People just look for themes here on this, and it's legitimate to, to come up with this. It doesn't say this is the theme of Matthew and, and Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Um, but as you read Matthew, you kind of get a sense this is the, the theme. It's about the Messiah, the King. Um, royal lawgiver. It's kind of all the same theme, just the different ways of expressing it. Royal lawgiver. You come to Mark, and you have the theme, really is mighty worker. Or servant. That's huge in Mark. Really what you find in Mark is a model for leadership. The servant. And, and the wonderful thing of Mark, it's a gospel of action. It's rapid, it's vivid, Jesus on the move. So he goes from place to place, does this, does that, and he's moving. That's what Mark is. Uh, from one mighty deed to another. Servant, leadership, servant, leadership, all the way through. Um, Luke, you have a friend of man or friend of sinners. It's kind of the theme and then in John, you have Jesus as God. Just overall themes. That's all. And, and personally, I just give you a personal note for me. Um, and, and, and someone who's seeking, um, you know, John's a great gospel. It's just hard sometimes to work through John uh, for an unbelieving mind. I tend to direct him to Mark. It's the servant. 
You see mighty deeds. It shows that he's God. It shows that he's human. And you see his humanity all the way through. And you're, in, you're confronted with, with um, this one who, who um, uh, served, but also gave his life for a ransom. Um, and so that tends to be a little more helpful for seekers. But Jesus is God. It just, it just got some tricky stuff when you go through John. Especially when you come to about um, him being the bread of life and eating him and all that. It gets kind of tricky. That's all. Just a side note. But it really demonstrates Jesus is God. It comes right out of the gates with that. The audience here, Jews and Matthew. The audience in Mark is Romans, typically, mostly. And Luke, it's the Greeks. And the audience in John really is everyone. But that's kind of within the Gospels. And, and I don't want to get hung up on all this. Um, some of it's artificial, but um, it's, it's, it's there. You can see it as you go through it. But one thing we can say um, as we go and look at each of the Gospels, that each one has its own personality and its own viewpoints. Yet, while there are differences and purpose and presentation of events, they all center on the greatest, most wonderful thing God has ever done. Four views, one portrait. Four views, one portrait. Different angles. Different ways of seeing it. God thought it was that important for us to have it because it's the most significant event ever. So that's some of the progress and unity we see within the Gospels. And we'll come back to this with the Gospels to the Acts. Um, So I'm not going to look at that all I wanted to say under this, if you want to note one thing under the gospel to Acts, you have some verses there. But the gospels are the beginning of the work of Christ and continues right on to through, um, on to the book of Acts. Okay, so the gospels are the beginning of the work of Christ and continues right on to the book of Acts. And we see growth. We see progress from the gospels to Acts while seeing the unity. Um, we see the beginning. We see the culmination of the gospel. We see the proclamation of the gospel. And all that's kind of wrapped up from from the gospel to Acts. But we're going to come back to Acts next week and see its unity to the gospels. The gospel to the letters, I don't want to spend time here either. They just don't have time. You have a big chart there. Um, let me just fill in the transition verses just so you can live with this here. Um, but you have in this chart, you see the gospel to the letters. We see unity and progress. And I just want to show this here. Um, that while the gospel is kind of simple, Jesus, I am the light, the transition, John 14, 26. Just write in John 14, 26. Because it says there, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Now that's significant as we move from the gospels to the letters, and we have this book, Acts. We're going to come back to this next week. But we have the gospels transitioning to the letters, which are more comp- complex, but John says, 1426, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And the Gospels, we have the parables, and we have another, we have teachings which are occasional inter- introductory, and we have another verse there for transition, John 16, 12. John 16, 12. Where Jesus says, I have more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That's significant. Jesus gave his teachings, gave, Jesus showed his life while walking on the earth. But he says to the disciples, there's more to share. There's more you can't understand right now. But you're going to understand it at some point when the spirit of truth comes upon you. Book of Acts. The letters. See, there's unity there. There's progress. We find in the Gospels hints of certain um, topics, kind of a not yet 
kind of, uh, he's not going to tell them everything. They keep saying, oh, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Not yet. Not yet. Not going to tell you this? Not yet. Transition, John 16, 13. John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth and tell you what is yet to come. Then we have the letters. You see how this is all tying together. Jesus says, I'm teaching you some things, but there's some things you're not going to know right now. And I'm going to give you the spirit who's going to live in you, who's going to teach you these other things, flesh it out, more things that that I'm not going to give you right now, and then you're going to have them, and then you're going to write the letters. And then you're going to kind of flesh this out. That's the unity. That's the progress. We see both. Seed ideas developed because the Spirit of God lives in them, and then we have the letters. Now, just let me give you one or two examples. Really, one, Jesus says, I'll build my church. I will build my church. He says that uh, in, in chapter Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church. That's, what, that's the seed idea. Then we have Acts, the building process. This is how he's going to build his church. This is a beautiful seed just being developed. Well, then we have the letters, which are the explanations, the details, uh, what the facts meant. Okay, this is Jesus who said, I'm going to build my church. The X um, has him building the church. We see the church is growing and spreading. People are being saved and, and, and people are coming into the church and it's just exploding. Now what? We have all these people. What do we do? Well, you have the letters that are now going to tell them, this is how you conduct yourself. This is how you organize. This is how there's unity in the church. This is how you now have structure. That's what the letters do. (laughs) And it's just a beautiful thing how Jesus just puts all this together. I will build my church. Here's the building process. This is what you're going to do when you have your church uh, uh, services. This is what you're going to do when there's problems in your church. This is what you're going to do with church discipline. This is what you're going to do, so on and so forth. And you just see how God just continues to build this church. Now, there's a thread in your blanks here. There's a thread that runs from Old Testament to the Gospels to the letters. And there are seed ideas that Jesus gives us that are later developed. Now, okay, I'm looking at my time here, and I, I don't, again, want to get on this too much, but um, a study of Scripture, and when we study it for ourselves, we must understand progressive revelation. That when something is stated at a certain time, we have to ask, what is it that they knew at this time? Because sometimes... Um, we take what we know and we push it onto what is a seed idea. And that's, we can't do that yet. We compare it, but we just have to be careful with that. That's all I'm saying with that. So in other words, when, when Jesus says, I will build my church, that's a seed idea. We've got to keep it in the context. What did he speak of? What's he saying around this? He's saying he's going to protect that. Nothing is ever going to be able to withstand what he wants to do in building his church. But we don't. That's all we know of what Jesus says about church. That's really the only time he mentions church is right there. That's it. We get most of our teaching on the church when we come to the letters. We see the narrative of that in the book of Acts. That's all progressive as we come along our way and we see how God just brings it all together. And so it's really important, especially next week, and I love talking about the book of Acts 
partly because of some misunderstandings and confusion around it. But I love studying and looking at and talking about the book of Acts because it is the church at work. And we see a beautiful things that what God did when building his church. But we have to understand the book of Acts in its context. And we're going to come back to that. And so I want to come to our response for tonight. I really need to, to, to land this plane and, and, and really come to what it's all about. What it's all about. What is our response? We see the need. We see the method. We see the content. We see unity. We see progress. Um, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Don't go any further yet. That's all we have. And if that's all we had, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, what would be our response? What should be our response if that's all we had? Jesus, I'm going to give you four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we have a response. Yes. Amen. Okay. So it's kingdom living, citizens of kingdom. How do we live as citizens of the kingdom? Jesus says, this is who I am. This is what I came to do. And I've come to show you and point to the kingdom. Okay? Now, what is our response to that? Okay, here's the response. You see the, the, your last page? I think it's, I don't know if it's your last page or not, but it is on mine. You have several blanks here. Okay, Jesus came. Response, receive him. Receive him. We have several responses here. Jesus came. Receive him. You know, more complicated than that. He's God's son. Hear him. He's God's son. Hear him. I mean, if Jesus, God has spoken by his son, it would be prudent of us to then ask, what is it he has to say? I better hear him. That's why Jesus said over and over, he who has ears, let him hear. I'm saying something here. If you really want to get what I have to say, you'll listen. You'll, you'll start to figure it out. You'll keep asking questions. You'll keep exploring this. If you don't really care, then you're not going to be one of my disciples. So he's God's son. Hear him. All who are weary and burdened, come. What's our response to that one? Jesus puts himself out there and says, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Come. That's the response. There's no other response to that? <laughs> it's not, well, let me research it some more. <laughs> Come, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow him. I'll make you fishers of men. Follow him. That's what the, the, some of the, the disciples did. Put down your nets. Follow me. Okay, I'll put down my net. I'll follow you. And the others that said, no, I need to go do this first, and I need to go do that first, and don't you? I got to go bury my father, and I got he's forget it. No. I want to make you fishers of men, but you don't really want to follow me. So I'll make you fishers of men. Response, follow him. God so loved the world, believe him. <laughs> believe him. All authority is given to him, go. Go. All authority is given to him, so what's the response to that? If, if he has all the authority <laughs> and he tells us to go, I think we're in pretty good hands. Let's go. Well, while we're going. Let's preach. He's the vine. Remain in him. That's the response that he says, I am the vine. All right, what should I do with that? Let me think. What do, what do branches do to the vine? They remain. We respond to him 
by opening our hearts to him. We respond to him by opening our hearts to him. It's not complicated. That's why I put these as bullets. Sometimes we, we complicate it. I got to do this first. I got to do that. I got to learn this. I'm not ready yet. God says, will you just come? Will you just believe? Will you just follow? Will you just hear? Will you just receive? Will you remain? <laughs> we respond to him by opening our hearts to him. The first and greatest commandment is to love him. The first and greatest commandment is to love him. Elvin Strait was age 73. With this, I close. Elvin Strait, age 73, lived in Lawrence, Iowa. His brother was 80 years old. He lived several hundred miles away in Blue River, Wisconsin. According to the Associate Press, Elvin's brother had suffered a stroke, and Elvin wanted to see him, but he had a transportation problem. He didn't have a driver's license because his eyesight was too bad, and he apparently had an aversion to taking a plane, a train, or a bus. He was in trouble. He wanted to see his brother who had a stroke, who lived several hundred miles away, but he didn't want to get on a plane. He wasn't going to get on a train. He wasn't going to get on a bus, and he didn't have a driver's license. You know what he did? Because he loved his brother so much. None of that stopped him. It says in 1994, he climbed aboard his 1966 John Deere tractor lawnmower and drove it all the way to Blue River, Wisconsin to see his brother. <laughs> now that touched me. I went, Wow. If he would do that for his brother, he's going to get a John Deere. That's, slow tra- that's probably pretty slow transportation, right, and a lawnmower. It's going to take him a little while. But he says, I'm going to get there. I will see my brother. And I don't know if he got there. I guess he did. That's not the point. The point is, is his devotion to seeing his brother. And I go, wow, is that my devotion to the Lord? I kind of say, yeah, boy, I don't know about today. It's not really super convenient for me to do this. So I don't think I'm going to do this. I don't know. Someone probably, you know, is going to think poorly of me or maybe reject me. Nah, forget it. Devotion, our first and greatest commandment is to love him. That's what he wants more than anything else. That's what we've been talking about a little bit this morning and other times with Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't want all the externals unless they're in the right place, and that's our heart towards him, then that's okay. But he doesn't care about all the other stuff. If we're not doing the first and greatest commandment, that's to love him. That's to love him. That's what he wants more than anything else. Let's pray. Lord, you, you've, you've given us.